Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for this next episode in the Basketball Connections podcast. Coach Terry Layton is going to talk to us today about some basketball concepts that can help you improve either as a player or a coach. Chuck, uh, how are you doing? This is our fifth podcast we're doing. You had a big tournament over there, I heard. How did your tournament go? Yeah, we had our big ACSC conference tournament with teams from all over East Asia coming into Penang to compete, and uh, it was a great tournament, a lot of really good players, and uh, our guys competed well, so we were happy. Well, we just returned, uh, I took my wife with me, we went to Argentina for the last two weeks, and in Argentina now it's summer, so that was a good change from the winter of Colorado a little bit, and uh, got to see a lot of basketball. Uh, one thing we did that I'm going to offer out to everybody in three, we made three our videos, fundamental videos of basketball, that once I can figure out how to download and send those to people that indicate they would be interested in, we did them in Spanish, and what we did is, I, I spoke Spanish, you know, the instructions in Spanish, and then my good friend Daniela Ende from Olipo Club, uh, anything that came up, we wanted to go any deeper into it, he talked in uh, the other mic with it, so we got his Spanish and my Spanish both with it. But we tried to show skills that you show more than needed a lot of detailed talk. So you can tell by what we do and how we were doing the drills and how we were forming them. So uh, that's going to be a good thing. Three months in Spanish, we're also going to do some in Portuguese in uh, uh, May. So we have the Portuguese Spanish ones. This should be very good to have out for people. And when will those be available? Well, it's as soon as I can figure out how to, how to sound them. Them. So I got to talk to you and some other guys how you send a two-hour video with it. Uh, and I'm also waiting for one other thing I'll have in a few days, a prospect sheet that's all the information, the PDF, where a player is interested in coming to the U.S. or whatever, he can fill the cell out and we'll send it to services that send things to colleges. But I want to send those out at the same time. And I should have that within the next two days. So sometime by the end of the week, this week, I, I should have those available for coaches. That's great. Those sound like some great resources to have available. Well, let's go on to a topic. I have a topic that's going to be a little unique to talk about. And it's passing. Has your philosophy on passing changed? after you coached, or have you noticed some global differences in how passing is taught or actually done in games? It's definitely changed. I remember when I first started coaching, what I used to teach is what I learned as a player, and and we taught like two-hand chest passes, two-hand bounce passes. But since being a coach, one thing actually quite recently that I, I made this change is I started thinking about game situations and started thinking about all the times that we use a two-hand chess pass, and, and it was really very minimal. And so I started thinking about, well, why would I ever teach a two-hand chess pass if we don't do it in the game? And uh, so we, we've gotten to a lot of uh, stepping around the defense, push passes, shuffle passes. Um, just we've... I've, I've started training my players to, to see through the defense and working on those passes to pass through the defense. We're on the same page with that. 
I think there becomes a point in your coaching where you have to break down everything you're doing and figure out why am I doing that? Why am I teaching that? And started to watch with chess passes, what are they actually made? And they're actually kind of a middle of the court, even from backcourt to forecourt, frontcourt, ahead passes, where we were taught to use a baseball pass, that baseball pass, the one-handed pass is actually being used in shorter range, and the two-handed pass is used kind of a middle range type of pass. I'm in the backcourt, I see the wing up the sideline, I, I pass it up to him. Let me tell you the experience I had this week, and I'll go on to this with it. I mean, you notice that Golden State this week had a 50-point third quarter. And so the next day, I text Mike Brown, the assistant, and said, Mike, what did you tell those guys at halftime to get 50 points in an NBA quarter? And Mike wrote me back and says, well, we have started years ago to try to make 200 passes per game. And somewhere around 80% of those are assists passes. Wow. He said, we told them we want to be closer to 300. So now they're getting closer to 300 passes per game, but we always try to start off the first game with a seven pass type uh, possession where we're moving the ball and we're getting everybody involved early. And I was thinking back to Hoosiers, and I think his number was four. Hmm. That he benched the player in Hoosier for not making four passes and making a shot right up the bat. So I, I, I've really been thinking a lot about passing. And one of the ones I noticed internationally is so much more either push pass or one-handed pass or one-handed hook pass. But it's not always done with two hands. Right. The pass that we initially start off with teaching when we have two lines and we snap the pass and the thumbs go down, that pass we're not getting anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you've got to step around to get around, guys. And even the bounce pass we teach is a step around, one-handed bounce pass, two-handed bounce pass, a hook pass off the ground. But that chest pass, we probably spend way too much time on that. And I notice when I'm with American or North American coaches that they'll criticize an international kid for making a one-handed pass. Mm. And actually, they did we don't do enough drills with it, with one-handed passing. Uh, I ran across a drill that I saw in Brazil, I saw in Argentina, where it's kind of what I call a hot potato one-handed pass, where you have five guys, you penetrate and pitch with one hand. Some of them even have a coach dictate where you're going to pass, and then you sprint out of it. But everybody was penetrating and pitching with one hand, either right hand or left hand, sometimes back, sometimes up, sometimes across. But I think we need to re-examine our passing. Have you had any rules? Have you told your players what kind of pass should a player make to a player that's in the key? You know, that's something that we struggle with. And what we've been telling them lately is either a, a bounce pass or, or actually mostly bounce passes because we really don't have anybody tall enough to catch a pass over the top. What is your take on that? I'm the same way. It's a bounce pass or a lob pass. Mm. And the ones that are intercepted when you're in the key coming down are passes that are chest pass in a short area because of everybody's recovering back in that area. So I think a lot of people allow in three on two or allow drills where they're making chest passes that. And I don't think that's the one you want to make. Even yeah. though I've always felt in passing, if you have a choice between the simple or the complex, 
choose a simple pass in terms of 10 feet away, open, make the pass, as opposed to the pass that's got to weave in between five people to get to the guy. That looks pretty, but the success rate is different. I always think about that, too, as, as I try to think about where the defensive hands are. And so it doesn't make sense to, to make a, a pass directly where their hands are probably going to be. Uh, and especially us, we play a lot of two, three zones that, that pack it in. So if we have somebody flash to the, to the high post area, um, if, if we throw a, a straight chest pass, then it's going to be, you're just, you're throwing it right to the defensive hands. Well, just the selection of passes. I, I find a lot of kids internationally, especially shoot the ball just in general toward the basket. They're not specific. They're not really aiming toward a point either front rim or back rim or middle rim. The same thing in passing. You get a lot of general passing. I think the one thing that really picks up your team, if you're more specific in your drills of where you're passing that ball. Uh, I've gone a lot to passing to the triple threat position. Yeah. Because now with all the dribble motion offenses, if you pass it chest high, they've got to take the ball too far down to dribble or they loop it down to shoot that takes them more time. The concept of, you know, where is your advantage? If you pass to the middle of the body or in between a defense and offense, the defense is going to steal it half the time. Yeah. So you got to pass away from defense. If you have a little guy getting the ball, it's probably going to be on the ground. If you have a big guy, it's probably going to be in the air higher because he has an advantage higher. But to really be specific on drills of passing, now, one of the ones that goes along with this is I ran across in Europe quite a bit. Europe does a lot more of their, we used to call dummy offense. Now they're starting to use the word synchronization offense or sync offense because maybe the word dummy was offensive. But hmm. They do a lot more dribble initiating on a, on a dummy offense. So let's say, for example, you're running a cutthroat defensive drill. Well, we give them the ball and he just makes a regular straight pass. But what they do, they'll throw the ball behind him so he's got to come in off the dribble like you would in a regular offensive set. Mm. So uh, I see a lot more teams that say, why don't we dribble as we're working in our offense and make it a two-third court or not make it just at a spot there because that's not actually happening that way. And it kind of goes back to what you said about dribbling. What are we teaching? What is actually happening? And what do we need to do? And I think you start to become a coach when you start to break down and you realize, I did that because Coach Stinson taught me to do that. You know? Yeah. And that may have been so many years ago, it doesn't apply to what we're doing now. When, uh, when we coach passing, too, we put a lot of responsibility on the guy receiving the pass, too. What you just said earlier is, as far as passing to the triple threat position, well, we put a lot of responsibility on the guy receiving the pass needs to show that target so that the passer has a target to hit every single time. And then we also always teach not every pass is going to be perfect, but if you, if you focus on catching the ball with two hands, then you, some of those would be turnovers you're going to prevent from turning the ball over. So we, we put a, in our passing, we also put a lot of emphasis on uh, the responsibility of the receiver. I agree with that. I think it's very irritating when a, and I was a point guard, a point guard that made a good pass that was not received because the receiver did not receive it right. Yep. And that also goes along with moving your feet. 
So if you're catching the ball and your feet are glued to the ground, you're going to have trouble. You're going to need to move and shift to be stronger in the catching position. Uh, but to have target, and I've always used the rule, no target, no pass. Yeah, that's you know, right. And that really applies to postman and post up. They give you no visual target where they want the ball. Find out the kids that give you targets and even make faces when they're doing it, cry a little bit, get the ball a lot more. But when you're doing shooting drills, your first order's got to be target. It's got to be what the receiver, where's your target? Where do you want that? And this also applies with this end coming up, and I'm going to make a, a pivot back to the basket. You know, that changes where I pass it, where it tends to be on the inside shoulder where I'm making the pass to in anticipation of the pivot move he's going to make. So I've got to assist the guy with my pass in being ready to shoot and be in a position to shoot better. And many times we're our own worst enemy in making a bad pass, and then our shooter takes too much time because we made a bad pass. So it's a combination of both of them. I'm mixing some of this up with it. Examine what you're doing in passing. Take uh, track of what kind of pass you're actually making from what areas of the court. Uh, I've always been a fast break guy, but if you have a guy up the same sidelines, you kick it up. And that's your first pass to look at there with it. And then to be simple with your passes, and not every pass is two-handed pass. One-handed passes, I... I did a drill this week in the video where we had him dribble up with two balls, a hand, a ball in each hand, what I call pistones, pistons, and then you throw the ball to one guy in the corner, and he catches and shoots it, and you got to be exact to his target, and then you dribble to the opposite direction and take a shot. So now we're working on both dribbling and shooting for both of them, and both of them get shots. But I said, break down your shooting. Watch Golden State, what they're doing passing-wise. Uh, Houston is another one that does some good international passing concepts with it. But I think we have many of us that are old-fashioned with the way that we teach passing or our progression. The word you use in many languages is your pedagogy of teaching, your order of teaching, or how long you stay in that. And uh, I, I think we're, we're off. We need to really look at that and better it. You think it's a declining art? Passing is a declining art? I think it's it's something that that is far too often overlooked. The evolution of the new style of play from the guards and the effectiveness. Um, I think the, the the types of passes have evolved with that and uh, and that's that's one of the major reasons why guards are so effective in today's game. The other area is how long you hold the ball and what you do with the ball. And I think that goes along with passing. You know, when you catch the ball, when we're, you're seeing a lot of four-out, one-in kind of sets, kind of like the swing offense has some of that. NBA has a lot of that with it. That I've heard San Antonio talk about keeping the ball a second and a half. They'd be a quick decision maker. Now, going back to passing that goes along with this, one of the other terms you're hearing on teams is we need more playmakers and we're not talking about point guards. We're talking within our group we need to have two or three playmakers with our five guys. And we used to go back where our one was our only point maker, playmaker, and then we had shooters and rebounders, but you're hearing more teams. We want two or three 
playmaker type players on the floor at the same time. So in other words, with this, what do you do with the ball? How fast do you do it with the ball? Where are you looking with the ball? So I think that the holding on and uh, keeping the ball is one bad thing. Now the next one that goes along with it is the dribbler compared to the bouncer. Hmm. Now to me, a bouncer is a guy that's just bouncing the ball. That his girlfriend is impressed that he bounces the ball so much. A dribbler is a guy that does it for three or four reasons. To penetrate to the basket with minimal dribbles as possible. To improve his angle of entry of passing to get it to a player to in the inside. And then to advance the ball down the floor. For me, are the three areas where, and even when you're teaching dribbling up the floor, you limit the number of dribbles you allow guys to do in those drills. So you're, you're not having it. So what's your thought on holding the ball first and then on dribbling? Yeah, you and I are on the same page. The way that I, I call it when I coach is I say, I want ball handlers, not dribblers. And in the sense, exactly the same concepts, just different names where um, I say the dribbler is the one that just dribbles around with uh, nonsense, but the ball handler sees situations, minimizes his dribbles, and only uses the one that he needs to take uh, in order to advance the ball or to create an open shot for somebody else. And then for the for the first one, holding the, the ball possession, uh, I, I'm thinking about – I go back to what you talked about earlier with with uh, Golden State making 200 passes per game. And I think about um, a lot of young coaches and a lot of young offenses where coaches are trying to get as many shots up as possible. They're, they're looking at uh, how many shot opportunities they get. And so what that, what that turns into is it turns into uh, – they're really not monitoring flow of their offense. They're not monitoring the passes in their offense, and they're just throwing up quick shots out of rhythm from their offense. And uh, and so that's a it's a great topic to look at is to to uh, see how many seconds is is a player holding the basketball before they either pass or dribble, and and how many effective passes are they making per possession and, and per game. That's just a until right now, I really haven't thought about being with the in international basketball and the, the 24 second shot clock. My style of coaching has really had to evolve because you don't have as much time to make 10 to 15 passes before you can get up a good shot. But then, as you explained, Golden State has a goal of making seven passes per possession before they take up a shot, and yet they're scoring 120. Um, sometimes even more points per game. So that means that that they're they're passing with a purpose and they're still getting all those shot selections that they need every single game. Yeah, we're, we're similar in a lot of things we're talking about. I, I would change one vocabulary thing you said. I think one of the things I found out is coaching Lamar, the idea wasn't to get shots up. The idea was to get good looks mm, with good, good looks. people. And if you're taking bad shots, you're not getting good looks. So you're shooting up now. The other one in the passing area that we didn't mention was, I think you mentioned you see these teams that are better passing teams are working more on internal passes in close areas. So I ask you the question, you have a two-on-two passing drill in the key when all the players are in the key. 
or from the circle down where they're making bounce passes, step around passes, and they're getting a ball maybe in a medium area, but see a better pass down to someone else, and they're able to make that one extra pass. Maybe as a key word, was there one extra pass? Mm. So I think maybe this is enough for today. We've talked basically getting to think about passing, think about how long you hold the ball in the passing set, and then we'll lead into dribbling this next time with how many dribbles should you be taking. One interesting study is to count your passes versus your dribbles. Hey, why don't you tell them about the book again and how they get it, and, and then give us an episode. We've been looking at, at the book that I just wrote uh, of the Pyramid of Success Basketball Devotional. And uh, this book is available on Amazon.com. And if you type in Pyramid of Success Basketball Devotional in the, in the search engine, then it, it should come up and you should be able to get a copy, either a hard copy or Kindle. Uh, if you do live in anywhere around Southeast Asia, uh, I do have hard copies available that I can mail out to people and today uh, we have the day four devotional which is on friendship and first corinthians fifteen thirty three says do not be deceived bad morals corrupt good company and john wooden says friendship is to strive to build the team filled with camaraderie and respect comrade in arms and he also says the time you make a friend is before you need them. In a team sport, you need everyone to be on the same page working together to be successful. Trust gives you the ability to fully let go of selfish desires and do what's best for the person or team you have chosen to confide in. Coach Wooden uses the term camaraderie in terms to give and get respect relationship. If you respect and trust someone, you will do anything for that person. Notice the common theme in every part of the pyramid that we have talked about involves accountability to the self first. Enthusiasm, enjoy what you do and do it wholeheartedly. Cooperation, learn to make people feel like they work with you, not for you. Loyalty, be true to yourself and to those you lead. Friendship, be a good friend to get good friends. Evaluate your team right now. Who are you friends with? And who do you trust? Now think about yourself. What have you done to become friends with your teammates? Have you demonstrated trust in them? Do you model respect for them? Don't wait until you get into the game and decide that you need your teammates. It's already too late to build relationships. Always remember that it starts with you. Nelson Mandela once said that sports can create hope where there was once despair. It is more powerful than governments in breaking down racial barriers. In 1948, apartheid was signed into law in South Africa. This was the legal separation of races between blacks and whites. For over 30 years, the black majority was treated as inferiors to the white minority with worse living conditions, health care, schools, and services. In 1994, Nelson Mandela was released from prison as apartheid officially ended, and he was elected president of the new South Africa. The world watched to see if Mandela and his new government would take revenge on the white population and create a new system of corruption and unethical behavior, much like many countries of Africa are known for. 
Mandela took a different approach in building friendship through a sport hated by the black majority, rugby. The World Cup was being held in South Africa, and South Africa had a team entered in. Mandela gave his full trust and support to a skeptical white team, and even through all of the questioning and disbelief, he gave his whole unconditional respect and support to the team representing South Africa. Inspired by their leader, people in mass numbers came to the same trust and support to watch their underdog country win an unlikely championship. In the Bible, Jesus talked about being a good friend and taught us what it means to be a good friend. In John 15, 12 through 15, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for that for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Again, that's just great stuff. And thing, as I coached more, the longer I kept realizing that teammates, being good teammates was so important. A lot of times earlier, I would just recruit talent, not over teammates. This remind them how they make contact with us. If you want to contact me about the uh, videos in Spanish, just write me at terrybounce at hotmail.com. Chuck, how do they contact you? You can email me at chuck at world-hoops.com. Chuck, thank you for your work in putting these together, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks, Coach Layton. Thanks again for tuning in to the Basketball Connections podcast. Basketball Connections is an international organization that was founded by world-renowned coach Terry Layton. Basketball Connections is a way for coaches all across the world to connect and to stay connected. And these podcasts are a great way to listen to coaches in other parts of the world. So we hope that you subscribe and keep listening to the Basketball Connections podcast. And we're excited about the next episodes coming up. Thanks again for listening.